Chapter 28, Stores of the No-Sayers. I gave what few flyers Cecile had printed up to Sister Macumba. She, Sister Pat, Crazy Calvin, the ladies who served breakfast, and everyone else all knew that Nazilla had been arrested. Sister Macumbu said we should stay, stay with her until Nazilla was released. It was funny how things changed. If Cecile had been arrested when we first arrived in Oakland, I would have called Pa, and Pa would have made sure my sisters and I were on a plane back to New York. Nothing would have made me happier than to leave Cecile and Oakland back then. But we hadn't gotten what we came for. We didn't really know our mother, and I couldn't leave without knowing who she was. I certainly didn't want to tell Big Ma that everything she had said about Cecile for the past seven years was right. That Cecile was no kind of mother and had gotten herself locked up to prove it. It was bad enough to hear Big Ma supporting, supposing out loud every kind of selfish trouble Cecile was tangled up in. Day in, day out, I'd never hear the end of it. And there was no telling Big Ma that Cecile was a freedom fighter, oppressed by the man. Day in, day out, Big Ma would give my ear a hurting over Cecile. No, I couldn't call Pa yet. What if Cecile were released tomorrow? I thanked Sister Macumba for her offer and told her as quietly as I could that we were staying with Hirihoto and his mother. I certainly didn't want Eunice and her sisters to know we were staying at the Woods house. Although Vanetta promised to keep her mouth shut, I didn't think she could hold it in. Anything to make Janice jealous. Our mother will expect us to be home when they let her out. She won't be too happy hunting around town looking for us if we're not home. Sister Macumba said we would be safer with Miss Woods than by ourselves. Sister Pat added, the man is still watching the house. I asked Sister Macumba why her mother had been arrested in the first place. She said the police were really after the two who had been arrested with her. She said our mother helped to spread the word by volunteering her printing service. Information is power, she told me, as if we were having a lesson. Keeping the people informed keeps the people empowered. Cecile wasn't exactly like Kiri Hodo's father, going around spreading the word and telling the truth. She used, she fussed about printing anything other than her poetry. I didn't tell Sister Macumbu that, and honestly, I believed she said that about Nazilla giving power to the people to make me feel good about seeing my mother being taken away in handcuffs. Crazy Calvin held up his fist and said, Stray so Stay strong, my black sisters. Hold your heads up. Vanetta gave him the black power sign, but Fern pointed at him and said, What's wrong with this picture? He laughed like Fern was a silly little girl. To someone Calvin's age, she was just that, a silly little girl. To his chuckle, Fern said, Good boy, Fido. Then she barked, Arf, arf. Vanetta and I were embarrassed and puzzled by Fern calling Calvin out like he was a dog and then barking at him. I pulled her away. Fern laughed and hummed her buff song, I saw something, and clapped her hands. After we practiced being led to freedom by Janice, Inkton, as Harriet Tubman, Sister Makumbu announced we would do community work. We would take Sister Nazilla's flyers out into the community and ask store owners to display them in their windows. Each of us had to present ourselves to the manager or owner. We were to be respectful and clear. Good afternoon. We are from the People's Center Summer Camp and are participating in the People's Rally. We are asking you to help the people of your community by displaying our flyer for the People's Rally this Saturday. Older kids like Eunice, Hirihoto, and me also included information about free sickle cell anemia testing, voter registration, free shoes for the poor, supporting Huey Newton, and changing the park's name to the Bobby Hutton Park. 
If store managers said yes, we were to thank them and tape a flyer in their window. If they said no, we were to just leave as respectfully as we came. Heads up high, walking tall, Sister Makumbu said. Harry Hodo was up first. He went into St. Augustine's church and gave his presentation to a priest he seemed to know. Harry Hodo had it easy. The priest only seemed to be too happy to take Harry Hodo's flyer. It figured the church served free breakfasts and gave away bags of food to poor people. They were, as Sister Pat might say, down with the cause, or as Huey might say, carrying the weight. Still, Harry Hodo congratulated himself as he rejoined the group. I was supposed to ask Mean Lady Ming, but I knew she would say yes to me. I said, Fern, Mean Lady Ming likes you. Go get her. I followed behind her, but I kept my distance. Fern couldn't remember all of her speech, but what she said was good enough. Good afternoon, Mean Lady Ming. We would like to put these fl the People's Flyer in your window for the People's Rally this Saturday. Free Huey, power to the people. Mean Lady Ming wasn't ranked by the name Fern called her. Her complaints, all in Chinese, sounded just like her complaints about customers who wanted extra duck, free sauce, or a free egg roll. That didn't stop her from taking Fern's flyer and taping it up into the window. Bonetta and Janice Inkin approached the Shabazz Bakery together. Another easy presentation. The bakery had present pictures of Malcolm X and Black Power slogans on the wall. It didn't matter to either Vanetta or Janice. They both came out of the bakery waving their arms like little home, like home run hitters. Black, white, Mexican, or Chinese. Big stores, little stores. Some shook their heads north and south. Some shook their heads east and west. There were others who, in the middle of our presentation, simply pointed us to the door. In those special cases, especially, Sister Makumbu praised us for how well we presented ourselves and for how we left, respectfully, with our heads held high. Both Eunice and I went for the harder ones. Stores of the no-sayers. Places where we weren't guaranteed a listen or a smile. We'd both heard no before. The hardened looks of grown-ups who didn't like little who didn't like kids or black people or kids who were black were nothing new to us. After Eunice's third no, Sister Makumbu pulled her aside for a little chat. Eunice had a hip switching way about her walk that would have gotten me spoken to but good by Big Ma. When store managers said no, Eunice would say thank you anyway, the same way we'd say forget you, forgot you on the playground. Then she'd walk her hip switching walk on out of their store. I said I would go into the Safeway store and find the manager. Surely the grocery store workers had seen my sisters and me skipping through the aisles with our basket. I went up to the manager in my cheeriest voice. Good afternoon. I am from the People's Center Summer Camp and I buy dinner groceries at this store. I threw that in there just for good measure. Just as I was telling him about the rally and how good it would be for the community, he said no and something about it being against store policy. But he didn't look friendly. But he did look friendly. He did smile, and he thanked us for shopping at Safeway. I had no hips to swish away with. Instead, my long legs carried me down the produce aisle, past the bread aisle, and out of Safeway. I had been keeping a list of the east-west no-sayers and put Safeway at the very top of it. My sisters, Cecile, and I would eat egg rolls, white rice, bean pies, and fried fish before we spent another penny in the stores of the no-sayers. Chapter 29, Glorious Hill I didn't know which was weirder, having Harry Hodo see me in my pajamas or not having any chores to do. I tried to wash dishes and always offered to mop the floor, but for the fifth day in a row, Mrs. Woods said, Go outside! Play! I felt like a watcher while Harry Hodo chased Vanetta and Fern around. I sat on the porch with my book in my lap, glad I'd brought it along. 
In between turning pages, I'd peek at Vanetta, Fern, and Harry Hodel playing Mother May I or Freeze Tag. He knew just how, es- how to escape their tags and keep the game going. I could see why Harry Hodel put up with Vanetta and Janice at the center. Why he let Fern chase him and tag him it when she wasn't fast enough to catch him. Harry Hodo had no brothers or sisters. He liked being a brother to my sisters and me. Grateful that Harry Hodo would soon tire his sisters out, I settled into my book on the porch. I could finish the chapter before it was my time to come inside. I read my book, bright-eyed, breathing heavily and rooting for Rontu to win against the pack of wild dogs, his former brothers. Get him, Rontu, get him! I didn't hear the quiet, that the sounds of playing in the yard had stopped. I looked up, and they were all standing around me with Harry Hodo's go-kart. Hey, Delphine! Vanetta and Fern giggled. Obviously, they were part of Harry Hodo's plan to sneak up on me. He smiled, pleased to have caught me unaware. Want to try out my go-kart? I rolled my eyes and tried to appear older, above playing kid games. Me? On that thing? Vanetta and Fern started to screaming that they wanted to ride. He tapped my sneaker with one of his doggy hide tops. It's fun. You'll like it. Before this week, I would have said, how do you know what I like? My goal to come off board and older slipped right out from under me. Inside, I felt like I was being pulled onto the sixth grade dance floor. I wanted to give him my hand and let him pull me up, but I felt too big, tree-limbed, plain-faced. I'd probably look silly on that go-kart, just like I'd look silly matching steps with some boy in the multi-purpose room of school. I glanced down at that sawed-off piece of wood resting on top of a metal frame with skate wheels up front, tricycle wheels in the back, a rope on one end, a carpet square on the other. I had never seen Harry Hodo sit on the carpet square. He always rolled belly down, arms spread out, and hands gripping the T-bar. It was a wonder he wasn't all scarred up. Boy, you must be crazy. Stop being chicken. You can steer it. Those legs will reach the churn bar easily. Just hold on to the rope and keep it steady. Bonetta and Delphine snickered at Harry Hodo's carefree choice of words. I couldn't hit him for calling me a long-legged chicken after I had gobbled down his mother's fish and rice. I said, I am not getting on your street roller. No way. Instead of saying not on your street roller coaster or yeah, no way, Jose, my sister's voices failed to come to my rescue. Instead, Vanetta and Fern, mostly Vanetta, screamed and danced around us pleading to take my turn on the go-kart. Harry Hodo shook his head, sorely disappointed like he was Papa. I didn't think you were scared, Delphine. I'm not scared of that thing. My note voice hit notes. It was not known for reaching. Then come on. No, chicken, I am not. He offered the rope to me and patted the carpet seat. Just a block, not even a hill. I couldn't let him think I was weak and scared. Girl pride and a lower voice said, I'm not afraid of no hill. Before I knew it, we had become a merry parade. Me sitting on the go-kart, my feet on the bars, Harry Hodo behind me, pushing and Vanetta and Fern at the rear, parading up Magnolia Street. What a sight. I sat hunched over, holding onto a rope, my big sneakers on the turn bar. All I could do was wrap the rope tighter around my hands and pray. How could I find my balance, let alone trust it? Surely balance was what you needed to ride on that rolling cart of danger. Where was my good common sense? The common sense that Big Ma always pointed out I was born with. I was mad at myself for letting this happen, letting them push me into riding down some hill on this wooden, bumpy, hot rod roller. I could fall over on my butt. 
scrape every inch of skin on my legs, arms, and hands. I could look stupid, scraped up, tangled up mess, and on top of all, scream like a frady cat in front of my sisters. I hugged the rope. My heart pounded through my ears down into my toes. None of that convinced anyone on the parade route. Harry Hodel happily pushed. My sister skipped, clapped, and sang. They might as well have been singing, Crash, Delphine, crash. Then Harry Hodel stopped pushing. Now the tips of my fingers pounded. We were at the top, the very, very top of the hill. Harry Hodel looked at me like this was all fine. Not like he was getting me back for being mean to him. My knees would not, would knock if they weren't frozen. I wanted to get up and walk away. Don't worry, it's safe, he said. My dad built it. It's sturdy and has no splinters. He sanded it down for days. Good job, right? Right, I said. I helped him. He turned the tea part so it swiveled. Real axles for the turns. It's good for racing. But don't worry, he said again. You just have to go straight. Keep it steady. He nodded and smiled. My dad's great. I doubted he meant to get all girly talking about his father. He caught himself and changed his voice. Ready, Delphine? I didn't answer. He said, use your sneakers to slow down, then stop. Just drag. Then he lifted my foot and put it in the right position, the position that would turn the heel of my sneakers as doggy as his. Remember, you don't have to steer. It's a straight ride down. Just slide your sneaker like this. He moved my sli foot slightly sideways. It was a wonder he had soles at all, and he told me to hold on tight. Then he ordered Vanetta and Fern to come on as if he had taken my place as the oldest. Part of me didn't like it one bit, and the other part didn't have time to think about it. Push! Vanetta and Fern screamed, yay, and I looked up, mad, scared, thrilled. I felt six hands on my back and the bumpy ground beneath me. With all that rumbling, my head spun with the sheer craziness of it all, being pushed down the street, my sisters and Hirihoto cheering and pushing and letting go, and time not ticking, but racing away. It was too late. Too late to jump off while the go-kart rolled, its steel skate wheels hitting every bump and pebble on the sidewalk. I leaned right and left, trying to find my balance and forward, left, right, and forward, my drawn-up knees helping to keep me steady. There was a curve in the sidewalk, not exactly straight like Hirihoto told me. To me, it was winding and dangerous like the Chinatown Dragon. As the go-kart went faster, I felt the rumbling of the wheels hitting the concrete underneath me. I screamed so loud I startled myself. I had never heard myself scream. Screamed from the top of my lungs, from the pit of my stomach. Screamed like I was sneaking and falling. Screamed and hiccuped and laughed like my sisters. Like I was having the time of my life flying down that glorious hill. Bonetta, Fern, and Hirihoto had run after me, but Hirihoto had outrun my sisters and met me at the end. When we were all together, Hirihoto led the parade of him, Bonetta, and Fern hooting and dancing around me. Chapter 30, The Third Thing. Who would have thought 20 flyers could have brought more than a 1,000 people to the park? Talk about a grand Negro, well, a grand black spectacle. People came filling up every inch of green in the park. Some even climbed oak trees and perched in branches for a good spot. Everywhere you turned, there were college students in t-shirts, signing people up for sickle cell anemia testing and voter registration. Black Panthers from around the country in sky-blue t-shirts with pictures of Black Panthers on them stood tall, patrolling the park. Policemen also stood tall, holding on to their wooden clubs. And yet, I wasn't afraid. I was excited. You see, Sister Macumba said, waving her bangled arm like a wand over the hundreds of people, maybe a thousand, I feel ashamed of the pride. 
I take an ironing a crease extra sharp. Ironing a sharp crease is a job well done. Bringing people to this rally was magic that had you soaring above trees. It certainly was worth marching up to the no-sayers. In my mind, all these people came to the rally because our summer camp helped you to spread the word. The idea of radio announcements, the Black Panther newspaper, and word of mouth hadn't entered my mind. If only Cecile could see what we'd done. And Pa and Big Ma. They'd put the young people's presentations on first before all the speeches and the musicians and all the adult poets. Our play was awkward with Sister Pat following us around with a microphone, but we continued on as we had re- as if we had rehearsed it that way. The first time Janice Inkin heard her voice boom out over the loudspeakers, she jumped back. She soon overcame her amplified voice and proved a bigger ham than Lynetta on her showiest and crowiest days. Janice brandished her silver cap gun at us, tired and scared runaway slaves, more than Sister Pat's script had called for. All I knew was the crowd liked it, and that was enough for Harriet Tubman, who proclaimed, either you want to be free or you want to be scared slaves. She was supposed to have said, I haven't lost a passenger yet. The crowd went wild, and Janice soaked it up. Eunice kicked her sister the way I sometimes had to put Vanetta in her place. It worked. Janice stopped waving her silver cap shooter at us and went on with the play as Sister Pat had written it. After Harriet Tubman freed the slaves, Hirihoto and the boys showed off their karate kicks and chops and jujitsu moves. Eunice, Janice, and Beatrice changed into their matching African print head wraps and dresses sewn by their mother. I was certain Vanetta would be eaten up with jealousy after Janice's loud dramatic performance was soon to be followed by her dancing in that cute matching outfit. Instead, Vanetta had been awfully quiet while we waited for our turn to go on stage. I feared the worst with Vanetta's sunken mood. This had happened just before the tip-top-tap dis- disaster. A quiet Vanetta was a scared Vanetta. That meant I'd have to dance her part, or in this case, say her part if her eyes bugged out and her mouth didn't open. Then afterward, I'd have to be there, have to there-there her for the next two weeks. Vanetta, you ready? She nodded. If I didn't make her talk, we were doomed. What's that, Vanetta? Another nod. Now I was mad. Mad because this was the same Vanetta who had stubbornly wanted to sing Dry Your Eyes before all of these people. This was the same Vanetta who had recited We Real Cool until it drove Cecile into a cussing fit. This was the Vanetta who said, We should do this poem. And as usual, I would have to go out there and finish the mess Vanetta started. Vanetta? Don't make me kick you. Better not, she said. Good, at least her mouth opened and two words came out. And I'm ready for your information. I'm ready, Vern piped up. I'm ready like Freddy. I'm ready and steady. I know a boy in my class named Eddie. Eddie Larson. But Larson doesn't go with ready and steady. And then she barked. Arf, arf. Vanetta and I looked at each other. Then at Fern. Vanetta said, Vern, what are you talking about? Fern smiled and sang, I saw something. Then she clapped it out like we were still on the East Bay bus. The karate boys had run off the platform while the crowd still cheered. There had, I hadn't been paying attention because I was worried about Vanetta, but when Harry Hodo ran over, I said, that was really neat. Sister Pat pushed us into the stage and we marched out before all those people. Vanetta was supposed to introduce us and say the name of our poem and that our mother wrote it, but I could see her eyes growing big and her face, face ashen. I whispered the two things I knew would get her going. I said, Harry Hodo's watching, and Janice hopes you trip. Vanetta's face ripened to a peach. She grabbed the microphone pole like Diana Ross, stepped out in front of it, us her supremes, and then cleared her throat. 
I birthed a black nation by our mother, Nazilla, the black poet. All the power to all the people. The crowd roared and waved their fists. Maybe they carried on because she was a little girl making big sounds. Maybe they cheered for Nazilla, who was now a known political prisoner. To Vanetta, they cheered for her, and she was set to show and crow. Vanetta, I birthed a black nation. From my womb, black creation spilled forth to be stolen, shackled, dispersed. Me, I dispatched black warriors, raged against unjust barriers to find the black had strong, the black and strong had fallen, divided, deceived, overcome. Fern, black oceans separate us, tortured cries, songs of black greatness still echo in my canal. Vanetta, Fern, and me. Hear the reverberation of a stolen black nation, forever lost to foreign shores, where thieves do not atone and Mother Africa cannot be consoled. All that was missing was Cecile to see and hear us recite her poem. I'm sure she wouldn't have appreciated Vanetta sprinkling black into her poem like Pepper, but the crowd loved it, and we went along, following Vanetta's lead, throwing in the word black as she had. Following each other was easy. We'd been doing it for as long as we could talk. Saying Cecile's words one after another felt like we were bringing her into our conversation instead of turning our voices on her like we had. When we finished, we were supposed to exit the platform. Me first, Vanetta second, Fern last. We'd walk off the stage and over to the wing. That was what I was certain we'd done. Then I turned and saw Fern standing in the center of the stage. I went to get her, but Sister Pat was already walking out. Fern wouldn't leave. She said something to Sister Pat, who nodded and adjusted the microphone down to Fern's mouth. Then she left Fern alone on the stage. The crowd quieted and waited, but Fern stood without saying a word. I went, again, I went to get little Fern, but Sister Macumbo grabbed my shoulder. Wait, Delphine, let her. Sister Macumbo had no idea how hard it was for me to watch my baby sister stand alone before all of those people. They could laugh at her, shout at her to get off the stage, or boo her into tears. But Fern balled her fist, banged them at her side, and then she spoke. She spoke. My mother calls me little girl, but this is a poem by Fern Gaither, not little girl. This is a poem for Crazy Kelvin. It's called a pat on the back for a good puppy. She cleared her throat. Crazy Kelvin says off the pig. Crazy Kelvin slaps everyone five. The policeman pats Crazy Kelvin on the back. The policeman says good puppy. Crazy Calvin says, arf, 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 because I saw the policeman pat your back, Crazy Calvin. Surely did. Two things happened just then. Really, three things. First, the crowd went wild for Fern Gaither. Janice Ankin folded her arms and told Eunice she didn't want to go on stage and dance after Fern had grabbed all the applause. Second, Crazy Kelvin backed away. I think he was searching for the best way to get out of the park, but he was surrounded by Black Panthers. They knew what Fern had said, even though it took Vanetta and me a little longer to really understand what Fern had said and seen and what it meant. Luckily for Crazy Kelvin, there were enough policemen to step in and get him out of the park. 
It's funny about Crazy Kelvin. If he hadn't gone on and on about racist pigs, Fern would have never asked herself what's wrong with this picture. I'm sure it had more to do with Miss Patty Cake and him telling her who she could love. I'm sure it had more to do with him telling her who she was. Fern had Crazy Kelvin in her sights, and she got him with his own words. What's wrong with this picture? There was a third thing that happened just then, only I didn't know it at the time. Cecile told it to me in a letter a month later, and that thing, the third thing, was a poet had been born. It wasn't Longfellow, Cecile had written, but it was a running start.